everyone, and welcome back to the Fan Fiction Tapes. Season 2 starts right now. I'm your host today, Maya, pronouns she, her, and I'm joined by... My name is Sarah. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a fanfiction writer as well as an editor on my school's literary magazine and an English major, so I know writing in general pretty well, I'd like to say. And, as always, I am our producer, Ian, and my pronouns are he and him. Today's episode, to start off our month of July, focused all around comedy, is punching up and punching down. Uh, To start off a month all about comedy, we wanted to talk about how you should do comedy right and why you sometimes have to be careful with comedy Um, To introduce some terms to our viewers, punching up is creating a joke targeted uh, towards typically the powerful in society, someone who has societally more power than you, whereas punching down is making a joke targeting someone such as a social minority, often uh, histories of oppression or very low representation in media. A good example of some of these uh, for punching up could be making fun of Donald Trump for baby hands, uh, which was something that happened in one example is epic rap battles of history. They, that's one of the things they do to make fun of him. That's actually generally, I think a good show for punching up, but punching down a pretty well-known case is Dave Chappelle's recent ish comedy series, comedy stand up thing the closer in which he makes fun of the transgender population uh, repeatedly. And that's a case where as a rich comedian, he has a lot more societal power than your average trans person who many of his viewers, that's their only exposure to trans people. And that kind of leans into the general theme for today's episode is about responsibility and well, punching. Maybe to start some good discussion off, Ian, I believe you originally wrote in our notes on the schedule about grand rules for being funny. It's basically what you were saying in the um, the the intro there about what is punching up and what is punching down. Uh, are you making a joke where the butt of the joke is somebody who has more... Um, social cachet, more social power uh, than you do, or are you making fun of uh, someone or a group that generally does not have much social power? Um, It's, at best, in bad taste to do the latter. And at worst, it's reinforcing prejudice and stereotypes that contribute to a minority having less power. Yeah, one of the reasons I mentioned uh, low representation when talking about punching down was that trans people don't get a lot of representation in media. And so for people who will see stuff like uh, J.K. Rowling's tweets or they'll see what Chappelle makes jokes about, for them that the only time they're seeing anything about trans people is in that instance. Uh, We're a pretty small minority of the general global population. 
and a lot of people just don't really interact with us. They don't see us in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, undeniably. I think something that if you want to look deeper into punching down versus punching up is that when you're punching up, you're typically punching at the, um, the kind of like assumed, uh, like hierarchy, like punching up at maybe, you know, a cis straight white man. Right. And so when you're punching up like that, you're not necessarily presenting any sort of like false ideas because we all, you know, for the most part know and like interact with that. That is kind of the overarching like power structure. That's who like the default is assumed a lot of times when you're reading or writing media. Um, a lot of texts in like the literary canon, which is a term that's used to refer to like books that we consider like important that are like worth being studied or whatever. Um, a lot of those are about, you know, straight cis het white men. Um, I don't know why I said straight and het, but you get my point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when you turn around and you're punching down at these more marginalized communities, not only, like Ian said, is it potentially in bad taste, but you could also be misrepresenting these communities that, like Maya said, already don't get a lot of representation. And that's something that might be hard for some people to grasp, but I think that it's something that's really important that when you're talking about marginalized communities, no matter how you're doing it, you are probably contributing to the representation and so it becomes something that's really important especially if you are not part of that marginalized community but especially because jokes can especially with punching up or punching down are about making fun of people um then with punching down you fall into making fun of this group that already doesn't have a lot of power and doesn't necessarily have the power to rebuff or push off your attacks yeah, that's a lot of very salient points there, Sarah. Thanks. I think I, I repeated what you guys said a lot. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't the best. Um, but yeah, I, I made an attempt. <laughs> this is, unfortunately isn't my area of expertise. Um, but I am happy to be here, nevertheless. So you didn't touch on something I want to talk about uh, in this episode. It's kind of a theme of responsibility especially for the authors and potentially some of our listeners who are cis, who are white, Mm -hmm. uh, who are straight. Unfortunately, the way the world is, you guys are a little bit more likely to get published than we are. And you also have a greater responsibility when including minorities that you're not a part of in your works to make sure you do a good job. And that includes when you have humor, including us, because not all humor about us is bad. It's who is being punched is always a good question. If you're making a joke about cops, for example, and it features heavily gay people, but the, the target of the joke, folks who are, receiving the brunt of that impact are cops, and that's not quite the same as like if you're like making a Stonewall reference or something. That's not the same as uh, making a caricature of gay people for a skin. And, and in, in the case of a caricature of a gay person, that one, the target is the gay community. Right? Yeah, definitely. And I think 
I, I tend to live in a, I live and grew up in a pretty conservative, close-minded town. And so another kind of aspect of this is when you want to assume the best of people, some people aren't aware of certain stereotypes or aren't aware of the concept of punching up or punching down, which is also, I don't know if you had planned to talk about this, but why research can be so important, especially if you are representing a group that you are not a part of. Um, and because a lot of times people will make jokes that they didn't realize even are offensive, which does not make them okay. I, I like, yeah, they are not okay. Absolutely. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Um, but if you think that you're saying something completely in good fun, but you didn't realize that it actually has this really big, you know, historical or social significance, then that the blame still falls on you. I, I think because you didn't do the proper research into the group that you're attempting to represent. Um, and I, th I think it's generally a good rule not to make fun of, you know, minorities. Hot tip. Yeah, I just like to to say just a lot of the things um, that you'll see, you know, straight cis het guys get defensive about when this sort of thing comes up is you'll you'll see this response of, oh, so we just can't joke about this anymore. Um, no. Uh, yeah. There are ways that you can tell jokes about trans people, about gay people that don't punch at trans people, at gay people. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on some of his specific work, but James Acaster comes to mind as an example of a very funny comedian who is a straight white dude who tells good jokes about trans people that aren't attacking at trans people. Um, and I've seen a few examples of other comedy, both intentional and unintentional, that are trans jokes by straight people that aren't jokes at the expense of trans people. Yeah, it's consider who you're laughing with versus who you're laughing at. Um, yes, yes. In the case of, there's a couple of very classic movies that feature... Uh, the late Robin Williams, where being trans is kind of the butt of the joke. Uh, I believe uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is one, and I'm forgetting the name of the other. Um, friend actually just told me about it the other day. I think it's the the Birdcage. Yes, it's the Birdcage, and that that one's actually a, a double hitter in that it also partially targets the gay community, although they're less outright the target of it. Uh, and that one at least does, at least in setup, attempt to mock homophobia itself. And it's, and there's been a series throughout shows, a show that is near and dear to Ian and I's heart, or well, I don't know if I should say that, but it's a show we've watched and a show we continue to watch against our better judgment, Ruby. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it it is a it is a well known factor with people who I am friends with that I am awful at consuming media, um, just in general. So I don't know much about Ruby. Um, all I know what what was the thing you were talking about, Maya? That you um, learned about? Oh, the Black Panthers through Ruby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, mm. that's all I know. Um, I know that I know CG. 
3D CGI animation, I think. Big weapons, um, pretty ladies. That that's what I thought, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that's um a good summary for most of this show, but we're actually talking about one of the men in this show ah. um, this time around. A uh, character known to pretty much most fans of the show and a lot of people who aren't, Jean Arc. Uh, oh, pretty boy. early on in the show. I uh, think of the first season or maybe the second season. It's the second season. Is depicted wearing a dress and it's played for laughs. Now, there is some good here in that there, the show does, through its structure, sort of attack the men can't wear dresses, which is the whole mess, but right, the, the conceit there itself does have some issues and they yeah there's going to be people that are hurt by this it's the the entire setup there is that there's a joke where the punchline is uh man wears dress yeah and that is on its that's kind of in bad taste yeah yeah i i feel like as a general concept yeah, I feel like you could even like twist it and make it again, I don't know the exact joke that you're referencing to, but if you were to instead twist the punchline to man wears dress and is ridiculed for it, look at how ridiculous that ridicule is, and you instead focus on like that bigotry, um, that could end up with a better joke if you're trying to critique, you know, the ridiculousness of whether or not men can wear dresses. Um, you know, that ridiculousness of the you know, um, gender roles and such, then that could potentially end up with a better joke. But if it's just a man wears dress, then you fall into the, into both stereotypical, um, and like a repeated kind of trope, unfortunately, and also punching down. Yeah. You said that pretty well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't. Awkwardness of getting back in the, oh no, you're good. It's okay. awkwardness of getting back in the swing of things. We've, we've taken some time off. Uh, I've got to brush off the keyboard, get the rust out. Okay. Yeah. I'm also unused to this format and learning as I go. So yeah, it's a bit of both. (laughs) Not to mention we're, we're a little off kilter this morning anyways. Yes. Uh, On top of it being an area that I'm, well, Ian and I are not super well versed in. Um, I mostly do comedy by accident. I don't. Yeah. even punch up or punch down, I go, haha, funny, uh, explosive. Explosive! <laughs> yeah, I, a lot of my comedy tends to be accidental as well. Um, either just like, I'll, I'll sometimes fall into, um, like, I say something and other people interpret it as funny, or like, my favorite genre of humor is probably absurdism. Um, which absurdism is absurdism mm-hmm. is so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but it unfortunately, I feel like it falls a little bit out of the realm of punching up and punching down. It can still definitely impact that. Um, depending on what you are critiquing with absurdism and you know what exactly the subjects are. Uh, yes. But it's not as one to one as like a stand up comedy about the real world. You know. Yeah, it's there's um there's definitely ways for absurdism to um 
be bigoted. It just depends on what you yeah. consider absurd. Example, the man in dress joke mentioned earlier mm-hmm. functions off of the concept of that being kind of an absurd occurrence. Mm. Yeah. We're, but we're almost straying into the topic of what exactly is comedy. Oh, God. <laughs> that is something why, I'm not qualified to speak on, Christ. Why are things funny? <laughs> oh, <And> no. <laughs> well, actually, I think I do have a kind of a general answer here. And um, things are funny when they subvert expectations Yes. In a particular way, uh, yes. suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a solid definition for comedy. It's almost entirely unusable, which is how you know it's a good definition. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's kind of why uh, absurdism is works off of that at a very kind of fundamental level uh, in that it's just completely uh, taking something way backwards, right? Yeah. Um, I took off my glasses. I can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying that literally instead of like citing a joke. I well, can't I, mean, hear I did take my, my glasses subtitles. off. Um, I mean, that, that is actually kind of. Um, where I'm at now at this point where I have to watch things with both subtitles and audio. I get upset yeah. if I don't have both. I can't I, I, I can't listen I can't hear without my subtitles. Like I I will be having conversations and like I'm like, oh, what did you just say? If only there were subtitles, which is it's a privileged position to like get to turn turn subtitles on because I want to have them, you know, rather than like being hard of hearing and needing them. Um, yeah, in my case, I have them on a lot because I drop audio locks. I have an audio processing disorder. Ah, oh, okay. Makes sense. Which is part of why I can't actually listen to podcasts, despite no. being on one. <laughs> you, you, love, you love the irony. Um, I think I'm using that term right. Again, I... I know a lot. Like, I can, I can speak a lot to, like academia and like you know high structured like writing but i think when it falls into the more subjective territory is when it gets a bit harder to speak on like critically and academically um and then again if we were to return to punching up versus punching down it becomes a bit harder to you know critique it i think um I think I think it's difficult to critique and to analyze comedy. That might just be my sheer inexperience with it um, or, you know, lack of knowledge about it. But I also think that, like, when you take something that is meant to be, like, not serious and then you turn around and you try to analyze it, which you should, I think that you should analyze everything. Um, but Nerd. then you get... <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. Um, I... <laughs> God, you don't even want to see me in like peak literature major, like my peak literature major state. Like I can close read. I've close read the title of a book, Maya. Um, <laughs> like it, it's it's not even funny. Um, but when you fall into that more not serious part, um, 
then I think it becomes a bit harder to to critique and to analyze. And then a lot of people fall back on that shielding of like, uh, I always hear the defense of like, oh, I was just being funny or I was just making a joke. And like, just because you weren't taking something seriously doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility to not be bigoted about it, whether intentional or unintentional. Yeah, and there's there's also the um, concept of whether or not you intend for harm to be done. Mm-hmm. Harm that gets done is still done. Exactly. And just because something is comedic doesn't mean that it's not serious. Yeah, uh, comedy can absolutely be a excellent vehicle for um, a social commentary. Um, mm-hmm. When you when you apply that absurdist lens to social conventions, um, like. If you take that that setup of punchline is man wears dress, uh, and then you go a little further to show, wait, why is this funny? Should mm-hmm. this be funny? Why are we laughing? Mm-hmm. That can be a actual appropriate use, perhaps, of that. Um, I think one of one of the masters of using comedy as social commentary um, through absurdism is uh, Sir Terry Pratchett, GNU Sir Terry, um, and we will be talking about him in uh, at the end of the month. Ooh. Stay tuned for that. Yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And we'll probably be talking more about uh, comedy as, as social commentary in general next week when we're talking about uh, satire. Yes, I actually I thought I knew where you were going with this. Um, so did engine. I. I did not. Um, <laughs> I expected uh, to see a mention of uh, Jojo Rabbit, which was directed Ooh. by Taika Waititi. Which I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit. It's yeah, good. me either. Unfortunately, um, not a surprise, but you know, it's a movie that deals with the rise of fascism in Nazi Germany. And it's a comedy. And it does one of the things that I think is actually really a good way of dealing with fascists. And it, it makes fun of them. It makes them look <laughs> pathetic. Yes, yeah. that, is, that is a good way to deal with fascists. Uh, make them look pathetic. Yeah, uh, don't. That it, is an, it is an ideology that is entirely based around putting up a facade of strength. And exactly. if you rip that down, um, whether that is by punching them in the face, which is always based, or just <laughs> metaphorically punch them in the face with comedy. Yeah. You're never punching down when you're punching at a fascist. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It is always acceptable to punch fascists, whether that's um, physically <laughs> or with your words. Yeah. Undeniably. I wanted an adjective there, but I... Words are hard. Physically or verbally? Words. Yes. Thank you. Mm, yeah. Words. Thank you. <laughs> my, my primary function is uh, I also work as a dictionary or a thesaurus. Um, I, it's I, been a hot minute since I've read a dictionary. I should do that again. Again? I, 
I got what, you don't once. read a dictionary for fun? Um, no! In fourth or fifth grade for sitting down in class with the class dictionary and just reading it like a book instead of paying attention. Oh my god, I remember. That's giving me flashbacks to like fourth or fifth grade. Did you used to walk around with a book in your hands? Like when we were, when like they were leading like the line, like the class line to like recess or like lunch or whatever? Did anybody ever what do, do that? I used to. I still read and walk. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. I don't know if I still have that skill. Um, because I I read so much now. Um, a lot of it is against my will for classes. A, a lot of people say a lot of people don't read for literature classes, but I try to. Um, that's completely I've off not topic. Had a literature class in ages. Yes. Um, <laughs> completely off topic. There was an on topic um, segment that I wanted to do before we got distracted. ADHD talking hour. <laughs> Um, <laughs> my favorite with fascists are always acceptable targets ethical targets of jokes yeah Who they are, are. They? Yeah. Yes, so as we mentioned fascists are always ethical targets of jokes who else yes. is well generally the rich yeah uh, political parties always ethical targets of jokes fascists them fuckers <laughs> Nazis. Yes, well, I didn't want to also say Republicans because then I'd have a hat trick of repeating myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think anybody with enough um, sociopolitical power to like really influence things are generally always ethical targets of jokes. Yes, Joanne Rowling, to name another. Oh, undeniably, she is always an ethical target of jokes. Yeah, and she she falls into the rich billionaire, you know, lot of uh, rich billionaire, political white asshole, yeah. lots of socio political power because oh god, she's such pretty a much wasp. anyone in the UK who makes fun of her or even calls her a turf gets sued. Yeah, and if that ain't some thin skinned shit, I don't know what is. It it is. UK libel laws are some bullshit, but fortunately, uh, doesn't apply here in the United States. Yeah, we're Just not in the this podcast is based. So we can tell Joanne to go suck it. In fact, we just did. <laughs> now, so just because there are always ethical targets for jokes doesn't mean there are always ethical jokes. And that's an important distinction. Yes. Sir, I believe you had one you wanted to mention. Yeah, um, I something to be aware of is the intersection when you're making these jokes between like the person you're making the jokes about and the types of jokes that you are making. So one that I commonly see, and this may hit a particular nerve because I am a fat woman, um, but when people make jokes about Donald Trump, who is always ethical to make jokes about, uh, but they make jokes about his weight, or when people make jokes about Republicans, again, always ethical, but the joke is that AI has drawn them in drag. Um, stuff like that, where you... The physical person target of your joke is acceptable, but the group for, for, um, you know, for plus size people or for drag queens, those people are minorities. You are punching down with that group, despite the fact that you are making a joke about a person who is always ethical to make a joke about. And so you get that's, there's, um, there's splash damage. You, 
Yeah, yeah. You want your jokes to not be horseshoes, hand grenades, or nuclear weapons. They should be personalized and hand-delivered. Yes. Yes. I forgot what else I was going to say, but that's okay. Yeah, there's there's also kind of some interplay of self-deprecating jokes, which Mm -hmm. I am no stranger to. I certainly make fun of myself a lot, especially for my short attention span and capacity to forget everything I've ever been told. I think that's common to a lot of Relatable. us with ADHD. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you're making fun of someone for traits, and even if that someone is yourself, other people with those traits could very well be there and be hurt by said joke, which obviously you don't really want to hurt anyone if you're making jokes about yourself. Yeah. Man, we kind of ran through that material really quick. <laughs> we did, but that's we okay. Did. We did. I... I don't know how much more there is to say besides what we've already said. I mean, I, like, I don't know. It's difficult. I think it's a little difficult because, like, we all kind of agree. And so, like, sometimes making more... No, I lost what I was going to say. My attention span left. Yeah, I'm um, so sorry. Ian mentioned uh, James Acaster earlier this episode. Mm-hmm. And actually went and pulled up for myself one of his skits that he did that he actually became quite popular for. And it's James Acaster using trans people in a joke to attack Ricky Gervais, who was, I believe at the time, catching heat for making transphobic jokes. That's an excellent example of how you can make jokes, include trans people in the jokes, but not make fun of trans people. Yes. Even though trans people are an essential vehicle to the joke, the uh, joke which functions around stand up comedy comedians seeing themselves as challenging their viewers. Well, trans people kind of already have enough that they have to deal with and challenging them. They don't, their guards already up, man. No need to kick them when they're down. Yeah. But you, a rich person on the internet screaming and complaining about people getting upset. When you make fun of them, you've kind of got it easy, man. I'm yeah. obviously heavily paraphrasing, but it's it was pretty funny. Yeah, I I think that, I think that's that a- may actually have been the skit that introduced me to James Acaster in the first place. I wish I had gone and watched it. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes a really good point about... I, I guess I'd be restating what you were already saying, but how... Just because you aren't part of like a group doesn't mean that you can't include them in both in writing in general and in comedy as long as you do the research and you put in the work to make sure that you are not accidentally punching down with it. Yeah. Now, something to punish Dylan for not showing up. Um, uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding, Dylan. We love you. Um We also want to talk about cases of comedy and punching up in a series that is near and dear to all of our hearts and we are very normal about. (laughs) Mm. That is The Locked Tomb, one of the things that Tamsin Moore's series is very well known for and is often praised for is its sense of humor and the use of comedy. Yes. And Moore manages to do much of it without not terribly much punching at all. Most of the jokes are meme references. Yes. 
meme references or again falling a bit more into like absurdist or a lot of like character dialogue um rather than intentional punching which is a definite way that you can do comedy like you don't always have to have specific targets um not not every early newer (laughs) 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 yeah a lot of comedy like I think in talking about responsible jokes and punching up and punching down is very important. And perhaps you have future episodes talking about just like comedy in general. Um, But if you are uncertain about, you know, like how you should make a joke about certain people or whatever, you could always just opt to not go for that form of comedy. Yeah. You you can always choose to just not do it. Just walk out. You can leave. You can hit the bricks if it sucks, man. Um, I think that's a lot, that's a lot of Mir's comedy. It's not punching at anybody in particular, although she does punch at some groups later on, like we were talking about, um, before we started recording, um, in like Nona and stuff like that. Um, yes. In the third book, there are jokes that target in particular the U.S. government, which is Another case is of, of an always acceptable target. It's a <laughs> massive institution mm-hmm. that has a lot of socioeconomic power. It's actually kind of hard to get more than what the U.S. has. Yeah. Literally yeah. the most powerful nation on Earth currently. Yeah. For better or more likely for worse. Yeah. And so when, just to be specific about the joke for people who, like me, didn't remember it until we were talking about it, um, when Jod, um, John, who is also always an acceptable person to make a joke at, um, when he creates a, a corpse puppet for a very powerful government with access to nuclear bombs and a suitcase nuke, um, I think it, it fall it targets a lot of the aspects it's not specifically mentioned to be the u.s government but it's likely the u.s government um that's what I everyone's think, interpreted it as yeah. and that makes the most sense it becomes a literal puppet state yeah uh which is certainly ironic given that pretty much all of the states that have potential to be um the target of that joke have made numerous puppet states The U.S. is infamous for doing that all over Latin America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or attempting to do so and um, failing miserably in the case of Cuba. Yeah, yeah, and so it becomes a really effective bit, um, you know, kind of turning. What was I going to say? I forgot it. I'm so sorry for all the future editing you're going to have to do. <laughs> Brain hard, no work. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, again, this is something that isn't my specialty. And so, like, I think my brain has tried so hard to, like, pull good takes um, that I'm starting to run on fumes. But that's okay. Hopefully. That's understandable. <laughs> I, this is, I believe I mentioned earlier, this is not really my area either. I, um... I write humor rather than comedy. I just, you know, make puns and stuff. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, puns are automatically funny. Indeed. (laughs) 
as Magnus Quinn uh, has given to us in the gospel that is Gideon the Ninth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, I'm rereading Gideon the Ninth, and it's such a good book. It's um, such a good book. I need it's to such re-read. a good book. I, I intend to get additional like trade paperback copies of all the books and annotate them because that's oh nice I'll be real, I'm, that's where i'm at <laughs> i'm literally like i when i was reading harrow for the first time i was already annotating it and then i'm going back and reading gideon the ninth annotating it and then when the nona paperback comes out i think i'm gonna annotate that um i'm not gonna annotate the hardcover of nona though because hardcover oh, God, feels no. more like sacred um yeah. well my one of my copies of nona is the illuminate version Ooh. And, okay, uh, yeah, you can't yeah, annotate his, that. No. You cannot. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Jail, that, if you that even would try. Be sacrilege. Exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. No, no one else is getting my, their hands on that book. Jail for 10,000 uh, years. <laughs> <laughs> is it a jail filled with acid? Mmm, <laughs> sour. <laughs> sour? Uh, acid things taste sour. sour. Um, and I love sour things much to the how detriment you know of my that, tongue. How do you know that acid tastes sour? Well, chemistry. Okay. Also, vinegar is sour. Lemon juice is vinegar sour. Is tasty. Lemon juice is also tasty. Yes, uh, it is. Okay, I don't know why I had like the the like cartoon image of acid in my head, like the bubbling green shit that like Joker and Harley Quinn went into. Um, and according oh. according to uh, me and Maya's mutual friend, hydrochloric acid tastes of both sour and pain. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I have actually been around a bubbling green soup of acid. Oh, God. I did not taste it. Good. Um, you heard of your first That was book. left in the lab overnight. I, I, I wasn't the one who made this. Um... But a couple of guys at one of the labs I worked in, uh, and I'm going to leave out as many details as I can so uh, (laughs) no one gets in trouble, but... (laughs) Oh, God. That's how you always know it's going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) We left it... We couldn't put it in our hazardous material disposal bin because we didn't... Or Well, I say we as if I was involved with this. I was not. I was doing a different project in the lab at the time. They didn't know what entirely was going on. It was very high concentration acid, and then a lot of things went wrong, mm. um, which led to it being green and bubbling. Mm-hmm. So they placed it through in like Teflon and glass containers and let it sit in a corner of the lab uh, oh. over a weekend. The punishment corner for naughty acids. <laughs> <laughs> naughty acids go to go sit well, in the corner. The, the standard container for the hazardous materials bin is a plastic that's going to be somewhat acid resistant, but it's not, mm. you know, it's not perfect. Yeah. There, there's some really strong acids out there, and this was probably strong enough to eat through that. So if this started to leak and eat through stuff, that was a major hazard. Yeah. And they're telling us this story on a Friday at a meeting across the research group. The mm-hmm. professor's there, and we're all, you know, chatting before the meeting really gets going. As we all sit down to start the meeting, the fire alarm goes off. Oh, and no! And 
There's a voice over the comms basically just saying that the uh, building has become hazardous and to evacuate. Oh, no. <laughs> we all flip out. And Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> We're concerned. Yeah. And we fight a light with the rest of the building, and, and we immediately look towards the corner of the building where our lab is situated. We were having a meeting on a basically opposite corner of the building. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for smoke or something, and we can't find anything. We're terrified. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's, there's no way it wasn't. Uh, as it turns out, it was just a drill. Oh. And they told no one. Okay. Good. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that vaguely <laughs> reminds me of my high school chemistry teacher, who certainly was a man. Um, he, oh, boy. <laughs> um, at one point, I, he was just, he was truly, like, a when you think of a mad scientist, like, he kind of fell into that. Um, speaking of acids, one time... We don't know how it happened, but my lab partner was touching, like, one of the sinks that we use, um, and her hands started burning. And so she went over to him, and he was like, oh, no, let me, like, test the thing. And I don't remember exactly, like, how or why, but he had, like, a sponge with something on it that was supposed to turn black if there was a high concentration of acids. And he, like, rubbed the sponge over it, and it just went, like, pitch black. Um... Another time before (laughs) another time before school started, um, I'm like sitting on the bus. We're all waiting to get off, and then administrators and all the people who got driven in come out and they go, You can't go in the building. And we're like, why not? And they're like, Well, Mr. Redacted was doing like an experiment before school started and set off the fire alarm. <laughs> uh, and then one time he was telling us about how he kept doing an experiment to see if he could run over a car like they do in the movies. And I was, I was like, cause I'm, I'm a chatterbox. I never shut the hell up. Um, I was like, well, how high was, yeah, good. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, how how high was your vertical jump? And he was like, no, my vertical jump was fine. Watch this. And he jumped up onto a student's desk, like, out of nowhere. Um, yeah. So he certainly, he certainly was something. Um, hope he's doing okay now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but... before we get too off track with stories of chemistry oh, shenanigans, yeah. because I have several... As, 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 and... as funny as these stories are, uh, this is a episode about jokes, not just about humor. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, we do actually, for once, the first time on the show, we have mail, don't we, Ian? We Ooh. do! I uh, would like to read this email that we got it is the first email that we have received first comment that we have received that was not from you know someone that we kind of personally know uh thanks for commenting on our first few episodes shand uh but uh this is from listener elise and she says 
Hey, I found your podcast a few weeks ago and have been listening through the episode since. Fan fiction is a thing I am, of course, very normal about, and so it's been very interesting to find a show that discusses it. I like how in-depth you go towards specific genres and tropes, and how, with multiple people, there's a variety of views and good discussion every episode. As an ace who only reads platonic fics, strange but true, I really appreciated the episode dedicated to platonic shipping. It's so often overlooked, but good platonic relationships are very meaningful and add so much to works. My personal favorite platonic ship dynamic is chaotic sibling vibes, but the whole found family trope is amazing and can be used for everything from fluff to angst. Good luck with season two. Season one was great, even if I haven't read much of what you reference except the Cosmere. It all sounds very good, though, and I'm planning to start reading the Dresden Files soon based on the recommendation. It's an honor and is also making me kind of nervous to be the first letter, unless another has answered the call before me. Good luck again, Elise. You're the first, Elise. You are, and it is, sweet a, it is a shame that I actually already read this. Ian read this off to me before we recorded because I whooped several times when Ian originally read the letter off. Uh, it's very <laughs> sweet. Thank you very much. This means a lot. I am glad specifically that our uh, some of our episodes have touched you personally. That was the intent when we came up with them and recorded them, was that they would matter to people on a personal level. I'm glad they've been able to do that. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm excited for you to start the Dresden Files. I love that series. I'm very normal about it. We absolutely have to have an episode on it at some point. Mm, very normal. Yes, yes. Well, Elise, thank you for writing to us. I hope you share this podcast with all of your friends. Um, your letter has made our week, possibly our month. Oh, almost certainly our month. <laughs> That is such a beautiful letter. I'm honored to be on the episode that gets the first letter. Like, this is so exciting. Yeah. Well, we have received our first letter. We still don't have any reviews over on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that I'm aware of that will allow you to leave a review. So um, if, like Elise, you are enjoying our show, please leave us a rating and or review on whatever... Uh, service you use to catch this pod um, you can if you want to uh, reach out to us by email you can uh, get us at fanfictapes at gmail.com um, you can also reach out to us on twitter yes we are at fanfictiontapes on twitter we tweet about um, events some of the cast is at I was actually recently at Dallas Fan Expo uh, and also we tweet about other things because I'm in charge of the Twitter. We tweet about <laughs> our episodes, uh, and you can find us there. If you send us stuff on the Twitter as well, we'll be certain to read it on the show. If you have any questions or anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. All right. I think we've hit our word count for today. <laughs> Absolutely. Sarah, do you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Any social media or any works or anything? Um, yeah, if you really want, you can find me on Archive of Our Own uh, at The Sweetest Sapphic. Um, that's about all I've got, honestly, though. Uh, a bunch of one-shots and some fix that I really need to finish. <laughs> Understandable. Yes. I have several things I need to finish and get back to. I haven't posted a fic in ages. 
Yeah, same. I, I'm surprised. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm not surprised that much about my end because uh. Oh no, I'm. School sucked. Yeah, that that's pretty much what happened on my end. Um, I managed to churn out a bunch of fix when I was like in the throes of a really intense job, and then like smash cut to me taking like three classes this last semester, and I'm like, oh no, I can't write. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. So there. hopefully I'll get back into it. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be all for this week, folks. I am and have been your host, Maya. I am honored to be here. I've been your guest, Sarah. And as always, I am the producer, Ian. Until next time. Bye. Bye.